said, and I'm, I'm covering for Jim Hallway, who is way preaching today. Our text this morning is from the, uh, is the Transfiguration, uh, Matthew chapter 17, if you want to begin to turn there. I just have a few announcements, and, and then we'll turn to reading the text together. Um, as, as most of you know, the elders have been uh, giving regard to expanding the eldership, and we are grateful for everyone's prayers and input regarding Jim Hallway and Alfonso Thomas. We are just delighted uh, that both of those men have agreed to participate, and they'll begin the mentoring process this week, uh, and after which, Lord willing, they will uh, be installed as elders here. We haven't decided uh, exactly how long of a mentoring process we'll use. I feel like I'm still in the mentoring process, uh, but we're excited, as we know you all are, uh, that these two individuals are willing to serve. Tonight at 6 p.m. is our Black History Celebration. Uh, come because the food will be magnificent, uh, and there'll be a little bit of an educational component. There may be games as well, so... Uh, if you can be here tonight, that's at 6 p.m. And then the last announcement I have is a little uh, bittersweet. This is Marcus and Casey Southall's last Sunday with us. Uh, so I'm not going to look at them. Uh, Marcus is being transferred to New York City. Uh, they haven't been here that long a time, but they have really made an impact in the time that they've been here. They have been such a blessing to us. They've really made their presence felt. Uh, and so we wish them all blessings and Godspeed in New York City. New York City is a big city, but I don't know that it's ready for them. So New York won't know what hit them. Let's, let's turn to our text, Matthew 17, uh, and we're starting in verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Jesus transfigured, really uh, such a sort of mysterious, strange, a wondrous event. You have to ask yourself, what exactly did Peter, James, and John see? Matthew says Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes were white as light. In Luke's description, this is in Luke chapter 9, Luke says, the appearance of Jesus' face changed. His clothes were bright as a flash of lightning. In Mark's description, and, and you know, you have to, you have to think, the, the writers of these Gospels heard Peter, James, and John tell this. And, but even then, they're seeing something that their, their words couldn't describe. So 
you know, what you could, you could hear Peter saying, you know, like his face changed. And James saying, and, and it was like illuminated. It was, it, it was translucent. Uh, and then Mark says the clothes were dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. The, the Greek word for transfiguration, which is the word that's used in the Greek for this text, is metamorphosis. It's the same word that we use to describe the process by which a caterpillar turns into a chrysalis and then becomes a butterfly. It's a complete and total change, complete and total transformation. That same Greek word metamorphosis is used in Romans 12 when Paul tells us, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transfigured by the renewing of your minds, a a total and complete transformation. What an awesome and awe-inspiring sight these apostles saw, something that was indescribable. And then you have this weird fact that Moses and Elijah show up. Like, what are they doing there? M- Moses has been dead for 1,500 years. And Elijah, you recall, who was a prophet 900 years earlier, was swept up into heaven in the whirlwind on chariots of fire and horses of fire. That's what it says in Second Kings 2. How do Peter, James, and John recognize them? You know, they, they, they didn't Google them. They didn't have name tags. They didn't have photographs. But Peter, James, and John appreciate somehow that Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. And then finally, God himself appears. And and God appears just as he does in Exodus 24 in a cloud. And just as Moses at Mount Sinai, when he's receiving the law from the cloud, there's the, the, the presence of God in the cloud. There's a voice and all the witnesses tremble with fear. Uh, here, Peter, James, and John, when they hear the voice from the cloud, what does the text say? They fall down on their faces, terrified. In, in uh, the Mount Sinai, uh, uh, Exodus 24, what happens is when the witnesses hear, they say to Moses, you speak to God and then speak to us. We don't want God to speak to us or we will die, Exodus 20, verse 19. So what's, what's happening here on the Mount of Transfiguration, this wondrous, this odd, strange event? The Gospel writers all give us a time marker. So Matthew 17 starts with after six days. Uh, in Luke it says after about eight days. And the, the reason for that is I, I thought it's, it's like when I go on a work trip. If I'm gone for one day, Debbie will say, well, I was gone for three days because she counts the day I left and the day I got back. So is it six days or is it eight days? Um, Matthew recalls written to a Jewish audience, and that six days is exactly the same period that God's presence is covering the mountain on Mount Sinai. But six days after what? If you look at Matthew 16, and it's the same in Mark 9 and Luke 9 where the transfiguration is recorded there. Matthew 16 ends with this very awkward exchange, right? Uh, There were, like, words spoken, and there was tension. Jesus tells them, and this is Matthew 16, verse 21, in no uncertain terms, what's going to happen to him? He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I will suffer, and I will be killed. He tells them also about the resurrection, 
But that just goes right over their heads, right? They have no context. They, they have no conception of it. All they hear is he's going to be killed. And Peter, recall, won't have it. Won't have it. That's all he hears. This person that I have been following for three years, that I have, I believe is the Messiah. Peter just identified him as that in Matthew 16. He's saying he's going to be killed. And Peter says, and this is the quote exactly, never, never shall this happen. In, in, the, in Mark's description, it says, Peter rebuked Jesus. And Peter's words, right, which are, which are meant to come to Jesus' defense, spark what I think is really the harshest thing the Gospels ever record Jesus saying. And, and they're particularly harsh because they're between men that were close, right? Peter, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have your mind on God's plan, but on the things of men. I mean, he, he literally calls Jesus devil. You know, how, how dare you even put this thought in my mind that this isn't going to happen. This is going to happen. This was Jesus' plan. And then he tells them again, it's the end of Matthew 16, exactly what's going to happen. There's a cross involved. And guess what? It's a cross for everyone. You'll bear a cross too. Following Jesus is a cross-carrying business. And he makes that plain to the disciples. It's just a fact. It's the way it works. So from that, that like very foreboding, discouraging, dark revelation. After a week or so of tension, Jesus grabs Peter, James, and John, and he takes them to the mountaintop. We can't know, because the words that are being used describe something that by its nature is not describable, what exactly it was they saw. But we can say this. They saw in that instance... Jesus for who he really was. Not wearing a crown of thorns, not on a cross. Isaiah 52 says their suffering service, by the time the authorities were done with him at the crucifixion, would be so disfigured that he was beyond the face of a man, and it was his form was beyond human likeness. That's what's coming, but that's not what they see. What they see on the mountaintop is the glory of the Lord. And they heard from the cloud the voice of God saying, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In Revelation 1, John sees a similar vision. Now it's the second time. The son of man, white as snow, eyes that blaze like fire, feet that glowed. And just like at the transfiguration, when John has this vision in the book of Revelation, he's terrified. He falls to his feet. So think about it. Peter, James, and John had just spent a week wondering what it meant that this Jesus to whom they had devoted their lives would be crucified. And now here they are, a week later, face down in fear, in his awesome presence, listening to the voice of God saying, This is my son with whom I am well pleased, whom I love. Listen to him. Fix your eyes on him. It's similar to... The writer in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it says, Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, because that joy was coming, and these guys got a glimpse of it, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The words that are said from the cloud of the transfiguration 
echo almost exactly what was said at Jesus' baptism. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. With one exception, in the transfiguration, the cloud also says, listen to him. And if you look at the Mark uh, version of the transfiguration, Peter didn't know what to say. So in the way of Peter, and, and we love this about him, he just starts to talk. And he says this, oh, maybe I should build up some uh, shelters. And he just couldn't stop talking. So God adds, listen to him. I mean, God literally interrupted Peter. It says, while Peter was still speaking, a voice came from the cloud. So Moses represents all the law of the Old Testament, right? The law was literally called the law of Moses. Elijah represents all the prophets. He was the one who never died, who had his own encounter with God on a mountain, looked for God in the wind, looked for God in the earthquake, looked for God in the fire, but then heard a gentle whisper from God. And Moses and Elijah, they're listening to Jesus. Luke 9.31 adds that Jesus was telling them, and the way Luke puts it, it's a euphemism. It says, Jesus was telling them about his departure. It wasn't like he was going on a trip. About his departure in Jerusalem. Moses, Elijah, listening to Jesus, and Jesus literally telling them what he just told the disciples about what would happen to him. This scene really is the ultimate mountaintop experience. And whatever the disciples saw on that mountaintop on that day, we know this, they didn't forget it. It stuck with them. It stuck with them. And in the, in the passage that Ben read uh, from the uh, book of Second Peter, Peter, now years later, he says, we didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He received honor and glory from God when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. This is talking about the cloud. Saying, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter, James, and John got a glimpse of Jesus the beloved Son of God, in all his glory, as he really was. And they never forgot it. It sustained them through their ministry. So I want to do a little thought experiment this morning. You'll have to, you'll have to bear with me. Each of you are a participant. Nobody's going to have to say anything out loud, so don't, don't get nervous. I'd like you all to take a moment and think about a time in your life when you have really felt the presence of God. I know we're supposed to say, oh, all the time, but I don't really think it works that way. Uh, It certainly didn't work that way for Peter. Remember, it's just a few weeks later that he's standing, warming himself by a fire, saying, I don't know, I'm cursing, I I don't even know who this guy is, right? So Peter goes from this mountaintop experience to very shortly thereafter just being in a valley. So think, think for yourself about a time when you really felt like God was right there with you. I had a minister once describe faith to me in a way that's really stuck with me. He said, you know, think about it, Paul, like you're, you know, you're, you're hiking on a trail at night. There's a storm off in the distance. And there, there's a lightning flash. And when that lightning flash happens, you know, you can, everything's illuminated. 
you write, you see exactly the trail, how it's going, and uh, everything's clear. And, you, you know, you, that image stays in your mind. You keep walking along. It gets dark, but, you know, you can kind of remember. And then another lightning flash comes, right? And, and you just have to, like, trust. You just keep going. And there's going to be another lightning flash that comes. Maybe it doesn't work that way for you, uh, but I guess it's not uncommon. It was the, the 10th anniversary of the uh, earthquake in Haiti, such a horrible event on January 12th. Maybe some of you saw the Miami Herald story of Jeanette Sanford. Uh, she spent six days buried uh, in the rubble of a three-story bank building where she worked in Port-au-Prince. She was the only one who made it out alive. Her husband was convinced she was alive and insisted that workers keep digging at that site. Uh, he would direct uh, heavy equipment operators to that site, convinced that she was alive. He was told to expect to recover a corpse. When she was pulled from the rubble, she came out singing a French Christian hymn. And here I have to thank uh, Genevieve de Lisma. She's here somewhere. Si la mer said de Sean, if the, if the ocean is unchained, if the wind blows, do not be afraid of death. And in her singing that, they said the workers sang with her when she came out from that rubble. So now the Miami Herald article about this, you you can Google it, but not now. Uh, uh, She says, for me, January 12th is a celebration. It's a gift God has given me. I am here. January 12th was an experience for me to see the greatness of God. I believe in God. God accompanied me for the six days I spent. She lost three fingers. Uh, but she has these two on her right hand, which she says is perfect because that's what she uses to pray the rosary. Peter, James, and John came into the very presence of God. They see the glory of the Lord. And in that experience, it sustains them. The thing about mountaintop experiences, brothers and sisters, is they never come without a valley. Right? They never come without a valley. And for me... As I think about times I've really felt in my life the presence of God, some are too personal to share. So I'm not going to say them out loud either. But I do think how frequently they're paired up with a valley. So you're worried about a kid, and then you get word they're okay. Or you're in an accident, and you're just so thankful for God's protection. And, and thankful for the presence of uh, brothers and sisters that rally around you. What a blessing. Recall that for Peter, James, and John, they had spent six days sort of wondering what it meant, the cross, the crucifixion, what it had meant for the choices they had made in their lives to follow Jesus. And it's from that valley that they end up in this mountaintop experience. Uh, some of you have read the, the, the Tales of Narnia, or maybe you saw the movie, the C.S. Lewis uh, book and movie. And you recall Aslan, the lion. He's got these two kids that are supposed to uh, perform this mission. He takes them, he takes Jill to the mountaintop. And he says to her this, after he's instructing her about what she's to do and things she's to remember, he says, here on the mountain, the air is clear, your mind is clear, 
But when you drop down into Narnia, the air will think thicken. So take great care not to get confused. What you've learned here won't look to you the same when you're in Narnia, but look for the signs. It's important that you remember the signs. Remember them in your heart. Pay attention to them. Believe in them. Peter, James, and John got a shining reminder. They were following the Son of God. So if there's one takeaway message from this sermon, it's really the final words in this event, right? Because they're, they're now face down, clutching the grass, terrified. And Jesus, and Matthew's the only one who records this, but remember, Matthew wasn't there. And they're told later not to talk about this until after. So at some point, Peter, James, or John, one of them says, you know, he touched us. He touched us. And he said, get up, don't be afraid. Get up, don't be afraid. We have nothing to fear. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. We have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace and find help in our time of need. Remember this, everyone will come to a point in time when you're standing in the presence of an awesome God. And for those that know Jesus, he will touch us and say, get up, don't be afraid. So those times that you have felt Jesus' presence in your life, what, what I want you to remember this morning is, those are the real true moments, not the valley moments. Those are the moments of truth. That is where he really is. Those transcendent encounters that we have in our lives, that's what really equips us to deal with the world of the cross. And that's what he calls us to. Second Thessalonians 2.14 says this, he called you to this, meaning like this, right? Salvation, church. He called us to this, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That glory is for us to share. There will be valleys. We don't live on the mountaintop. But for those that follow Christ, we're called to share in his glory. And I think, I think this is true as well, that the more we search for him, the closer we look, even in ordinary moments, the more of his glory we can see. It's in classrooms, it's in boardrooms, it's in the outdoors, it's with our kids, it's with the kids of others, it's in this church, it's in this city, it's even in New York City. We can see the glory of the Lord, it will shine. So this morning the message is, don't be afraid, get up, Jesus is Lord. Steve, you lead us in a...